when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're off. What's good, Internet? It's Friday, <laughs> December 11th, and you're listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 365. Just, that I'm your host, Rob right Zachary. Just, just and like, today I'm joined nope, by Rob Zachary. happening here. Nope. Nope. I'm not joined by, by Rob Zachary. <laughs> I am Rob Zachary. Rob Zachary. Robert Zachary. Add it to the list. Today I'm joined by Patrick Klepek. You I'm, heard him. I'm here. Thank you, Patrick. Gita Jackson. Yo, what's up? And Ricardo Contreras. Hi. I'm here to get high and watch Modern Simpsons. <laughs> That's how you make it good. Back to back to back to back to back. Yeah. What what sort of stunt casting can we do this week? Uh, okay, so um, we're gonna talk about some games, and we're talking about some Star Wars. So I think we got a good we got a good show ahead of us. In the second half of the show, there might be some Mandalorian spoilers. So. If you're keen to hear us talk about Mandalorian, but are worried about spoilers, you're probably out of luck. But when this comes out, it will not be spoiling the most recent episode because that episode will happen Happen the day after overnight. Yes. That's true. Just to be clear. It will not be spoiling the penultimate episode. Everything up till there, probably. But like if you're trying to like if you're worried you're gonna find out that for instance they completely mailed in Baby Yoda's real name, um (laughs) then you should should probably not keep listening. I have so much to say right now, and I'm just going to keep my <laughs> little mouth shut. Right. Well, Gita, actually, I'm not going to let you, because oh, wow. you've been in space for another reason as oh, well. Oh, yes. We love space. So I've been playing this game that Rob passed to me, actually, uh, Per Aspra, which is about a terraforming mission to Mars uh, far in the future. And it's a city. I mean, it's it's a Gita Jackson, Rob Zagney-ass game. It's a city builder and management sim. So, but what is interesting is more than the gameplay, what really is fascinating for me, and this is such a weird thing to say about a strategy game, is the character that you play as is an AI that has uh, consciousness and volition, um, but is nonetheless an artificial consciousness, uh, that throughout the game, you are given prompts to reflect on like what it means that humanity is terraforming Mars. And it's really, really fascinating. Um, so you play, so you start out and like, it's just you and you'd begin to do like a base building sim. It feels very, very regular and normal. But then every once in a while, you get sort of a visual novel-esque sequence where you're asked to choose how this AI feels about the things that it's doing. So <laughs> you start out, you know, the first thing that happens is you get the base up and running and you get the resources going and you start mining water and food and making food. Um, it's a very typical sort of you know, action reaction like chain of 
uh, of processes kind of gameplay where you you mine the base resources and then use factories to manufacture them into other specialized resources. And you just have to make sure that you are mining enough stuff so that you can use those base resources alongside manufacturing them. And it's this really fun, you know, pretty well-balanced juggling of mechanics that I've, you've seen a dozen times before. But when, when you first get everything up and started and you build a spaceport so that spaceships can actually come and land there, the, the game, it's so funny. Like it shout, there's a, a little pop-up on the bottom of the screen that just says reflection. <laughs> so you know that you're reflecting on your actions. And it asks you, do you feel anxious or are you feeling excited? Uh-oh. Which is, yeah. Like you really- Look at it. It's have- a perfectly good robot base AI. <laughs> it's got anxiety now. <laughs> I always choose excited because- um, you know, my therapist once told me when I was like, I feel anxious about everything and like I'm going to die. She was like, do you know that anxiety and excitement are the same emotion? Basically, like, they have the same physical reaction in your body, the heightened heartbeat and the constricted breathing. Anxiety and excitement induce the same thing. So determining whether something is anxiety or excitement is something that's difficult for human beings to do. And it really just made me sit back and think. And the more you play the game, the more it just starts asking you philosophical questions about what it means for humanity to do this to another planet. And like what your role is in is in it as part of those machinations. Um, <clears throat> it's also got some cool references to real world history and sort of a, a projected future of space travel. It's pretty hard sci-fi, so it's based on actual scientific, you know, research and um, future exhibitions that will will happen to Mars. Like you, at one point, I was clicking around the map. And I found, uh, what did I find, Rob? I DM'd it to you. And I don't remember the name of the thing. Yeah, you found one of the rovers, the Infinity. Yeah, I found the Infinity rover, I think. Yeah. Yeah, which is like not even up yet. <laughs> it's not even out there. And I just saw it and I was just like, I there's this really interesting trend of media that I've been exploring about um, space exploration. Um, Rob, I don't know if you've seen, or Patrick, this the show with Hillary Swank away that was on Netflix. I, the trailer looked good, and then I immediately saw the headline that was like, season two canceled, and I was like, oh, thank God, just a show I don't have to watch. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, pretty much. It was like, this is us, but the lady is an astronaut, <laughs> basically. That sounds, I've, this is us is like a show that's been perpetually on my list because uh, I, the guy who did, shit, what is, I forget his name, the guy, the showrunner of Friday Night Lights, Kitness something, that then did yeah. Parenthood, yeah. and I, yeah. uh, parent, I love fucking- good. Parenthood was a good, it was a bad show, but man, like it had a big heart and like it made me cry all the time. And like sometimes I just like, everyone has, I think like their sappy show. They're like, I know this isn't good, but like it's good for me. And this is a sounds like the spiritual successor to, to Parenthood. I just never got every tweet I see about it is like, I'm crying again. Yeah. Hillary Swank was like a great actress and is really acting the shit out of this horse shit script that she's gotten. It's really Mm. not great, but the space stuff is all about the excitement and necessity of going, of human beings continuing to go to space and how dangerous and scary it, it will be, but also how we absolutely need to continue this. And then David uh, David and I shined up. I talk about him in every podcast. He's basically a member of this podcast. Anyway, David and I <laughs> watched- He's like uh, the Maris for, of this yeah. podcast. <laughs> no, but David's too good to be Maris, but still. No, he's just a nice- An off-screen presence. Yeah, he's just a nice friend of the pod. Uh, we he, we signed up for a free trial of Apple TV Plus because David really wanted to watch For All Mankind, which is an alternate history show about 
what if the Soviets beat us to the moon? And it's remember the Battlestar Galactica, uh, Ronald Moore. Yes, I've I've been vaguely curious about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I heard the first season was sort of eh, but the new season's starting soon, and I'm hoping like it figures itself out, and then I'll I'll like pummel through. I liked all the characters in that show, uh, and I really liked how it's basically space exploration worst case scenario porn. So you get to watch all these historical figures who were incredible geniuses about space exploration have to work through really difficult problems that they never had to work through in real life. Mm. Um, And that is the part that's the most interesting for me. Um, Also, the episode where they just go ham on that one guy being a Nazi. That was pretty interesting. That sounds all right. Yeah. (laughs) There was a Nazi who worked in in NASA, and then he later worked with- Wait, did they tune up Werner von Braun? Yes, they did. They they rolled in on him. It was like, brap, 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 you're a Nazi. Like, it was- was, (laughs) Classic. (laughs) That's classic Battlestar, baby. (laughs) They, They really went in, and they like- they had this whole scene where he has this female mentor who believes, feels like he's part of the family. And she goes in and is like, if you cannot justify to me why you did this and like worked, like had the people from Dachau and, and Auschwitz working on your rockets, that I just can't even look at you. And I felt like it was a very well handled scene, even though if it didn't feel particularly historically accurate. Um, but anyway, so this per Asper really fits in this like narrow, this interesting and new niche of media where they, uh, so when I am, um, like going through the missions and continuing the story, it'll teach you some things about what, what the process of terraforming Mars is scientifically. So the first thing you have to do as the AI is get the temperature up from negative 55 or lower to negative 50, because that will melt the dry ice on the poles. And then you have to, your next goal, like long-term goal, which I haven't completed yet, is to continue to drop the pressure, the temperature so that the atmospheric pressure can increase. And this introduces, like, when you reach these milestones, it introduces more, like, hazards into the gameplay. So until Mars has a strong enough atmosphere to prevent this from happening, there will be meteor showers that damage your equipment. And you as the AI have to go and, like, fix and repair all the supply chains. Um, I'm really, I am, I'm not done with it. It seems like there's a lot of game left. Uh, but I'm just really having a blast, like, learning about space. Out of curiosity, like, when you're having these reflections as the AI, as the AI begins to, like, reflect on itself and what it's doing, does that have any um, echo? Does it, Or um, does that sort of redound into the game, like, what you're doing? <clears throat> or is it just kind of a narrative wrapper? Like, either, either way sounds good, but I'm curious if it kind of tweaks what you're doing. I'm not sure yet. What I did notice, though, is um, so there's this uh, hypothetical uh, mission to Mars from China that we find evidence of that China has kept secret. And it's always been rumored, but isn't real. There's also like some developing backstory about the state of the world. It seems like there's been a major shakeup in the world powers um, there. At one point, you, the AI says to another character, that China, the Chinese language has been banned within the Oxy UN, which is what this organization belongs, like the federation of countries that this organization belongs to. So uh, you're asked to consider why it was that no one ever found out about this secret Chinese mission to Mars. And you can either choose they used private funding or they, um, they silence everyone who had the ability to speak out on it. 
And I chose the option, they silenced everyone, because even if you use private funding, people are going to find out about that. Um, and like, just as a journalist, like that's just where my brain went. Like, If the money exchanged hands, there is a record of it somewhere and someone will find it. Um, where, and when I looked in the, the notes section where you have all the information about what the resources are and like you have all your notes on the things you discover about previous missions to Mars and the developing lore, the flavor text for the, the Chinese mission to Mars said, well, the reason no one ever found out about this was because they saw and said everyone who could have talked about it. And I haven't played it the other way where I say, oh, they just use private funding. But it does seem like in the notes that this AI keeps for itself, it, it reflects whatever personality you are imposing on it when you are, are in these reflections. So that's the, the major way I've seen it reflected in the game so far. I don't know if it is, if it's more about like, part of me feels like though it, it's useful to ask the player what they feel about going to Mars. And like that is the, really the only like serve, uh, purpose it serves because like the we're going to do it. Like NASA has this whole plan to go to Mars, and there is uh, I think Project Artemis is the first part of that plan that is uh, about NASA going back back to the moon to establish a permanent base there as a refueling station on their way to Mars, um, which is also what happens in the first episode of Away, uh, is that they go to that proposed boat base that Artemis will establish. And, you know, I, I, as we travel, continue to travel out into space, which I do agree is like a realm of scientific exploration that we should not abandon, you do have to question and think about these other sociological and philosophical ramifications of it. And just having this game as a rhetorical device for me personally to think about why I want to go to Mars and why I think it's important to go to Mars. It's just like a useful emotional tool. It's like therapy spe specifically for space. <laughs> space therapy. That sounds, that sounds really cool. And it, yeah, I can totally see where it would uh, – not everything needs to have a mechanical um, consequence, right? Like sometimes just creating the narrative and like imparting that meaning to it. That is enough. I don't – like the meaning is the reward. It doesn't need to be connected to – and if your robot is sad, you get this building. Like <laughs> – that's that's not really that's that's not really it. Um, God, this almost sounds this is sort of conjuring for me like um, Alpha Centauri uh, feelings, where I'm like, it's you know hard sci-fi space fiction uh, strategy game, but this time in the in the form of a city builder, yeah. which normally I don't get on with. Like, I did not like surviving Mars. Um, yeah, a lot of people I mean, did. We but talked like, a little bit about this in the DM, right? Um, where. The, the issue with the, and like this suffers from this too, where a lot of the science hasn't actually been developed. So we don't know how we're going to get resources on Mars. You know, we don't know if we're going to be able to just to naturally mine for the same kind of ores that we have on Earth. We don't know if we're going to be able to find water in the quantities that we need to like irrigate farms and make food. Uh, in this in this game, you know, we're far enough in the future that we just have water extractors and food factories. Um, but that's just not satisfying to play. <laughs> like, it's not satisfying yeah. to go and like just be like, "Well, I'm gonna go here and dig up the the food orbs, and then yeah, also I, have more food orbs." <laughs> I think for me, this is kind of like one of the um, the, the, I don't know. This is this is kind of my hinge point with like city builders, where anything where it's like, here's a need, 
And as the player, what you have to do is build the thing that immediately addresses that need. And it's like, that's not interesting. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's just me. Like, that's just a Skinner box where it's like, yeah. oh, no, we need. It's a clicker we, game. We need air. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, like okay, build the games, air chamber. Yeah. What makes something like SimCity fascinating? Sim, I'm talking about like SimCity, like 3000, like the last good one. Um, yeah. Uh, is is that it's built off of models that we statistical models of cities. So stuff that is has a basis in reality. So your actions don't always have an obvious reaction. And there's multiple ways to solve problems. Like traffic is a perpetual problem in Sin City. And you can solve it by adding mass transit or expanding train lines or building highways. There's like a lot of different things you can do. And you don't always know whether or not that is actually going to be the thing that solves your problem. Where a lot of these like hypothetical future city builders... They're just like, you know, you know, like you, like you said, oh, you need more oxygen. So build the oxygen building. <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I think the one, the one I didn't play um, was the Anno game they made, like that I think was set mm-hmm. on the moon. Anno, yeah, future date, that. something, something. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. the, cause the thing that the Anno series is interesting about is like, the series confounds your ability to build those chains of inputs to build higher level goods. And like none of the, your city planning never quite fits together neatly. And so like Anno becomes a game about like, Oh shit, these choices I made early have now left me with this hellhole of a base and I don't know how to revise it. And for me, that's kind of interesting, but, um, yeah. but this yeah, I think a lot of games about, this. though, like this game is about the, the city building management part is fine. It's like enough for me to capture my interest. I did also like get up and like talk to my boyfriend for like 10 minutes yesterday while I was waiting for something to like clock over because I just needed to get some research done, you know? Um, it, it's good enough. But what is yeah. most interesting is that everything you do in terms of city building like and, and base building affects, like you're looking at a topographical map of Mars. It looks like Google Earth and everything you do affects the planet. So when you make those dry ice caps melt, they disappear from the map. When you will will make the pressure rise, you will stop having those meteor showers. So it's less about what you're doing, what you're balancing on the minute to minute, and more about watching like human human beings change a planet, which is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds really cool. And that's, I think... um, I think you know, that's when, out. Yeah, also. I think it is. Yeah. Um, I played 11 hours yesterday. Holy shit. <laughs> I, I think we can say, for people who are curious about this, um, this game probably looks drier than it actually is, right? Like, I think both of us had sort of seen this and were like, do I have time for yet another space city builder that looks it like looked, this yeah. academic? Literally exactly like Surviving Mars, which doesn't really have the the jing for me you know it doesn't have the secret sauce to make me just really interested in it and it it seemed like when you look at the maps themselves they seem very simplistic which they are i will say and it's also like the experience of playing it some things are not as intuitive as you would assume so i kept building more colonies because i wanted more people to make my research go faster but uh, there is a cap on the number of colonists you can have based on your building limit that doesn't rise with your building limit necessarily, which you is annoying. You can't build more houses. Yeah, so I needed, build like, Build more for, habs. 
I'm on year 30 on Mars, and it's because I spent 10 years being like, why won't colonists come and move to this research outpost that I need them to move to in order to progress the plot? I was just sitting there for like an hour, just being like, I mean, I got, it's like a we have thousands of squares of cube water cubes and lots of food. Come on, we have like a thousand food. I don't know what that means exactly, but where is developer. I don't know why these Martian McMansions aren't moving. (laughs) Yeah, this was pancakes the size of your face over here. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Yeah. uh, This is something I did not get on with in in Surviving Mars, where like real quickly after you had built the big tubes full of oxygen and fuel and shit, uh, immediately it was like, and now your colonists want cool Jetson style diners. And I was like, I don't know that this is like, (laughs) yeah. You got me like creating these massive networks of plumbing, which fine, okay. But then the next tier is like, well, now that you've got this entire Baroque like refinery and fuel and life support system, uh, what you need to build is a Wendy's. And I'm like, I don't know that this is what, the hard want, sci-fi I'm here for. You don't want the gamer meal from Wendy's? You don't want the yeah. myth meal from Wendy's? Shout out to what? myth. I actually think myth is pretty fun. Um, <laughs> anyway. I just like uh, that Myth thanked AOC for streaming with him because it was going to be his first time voting. I thought that was very cute. That uh, is beautiful. And now you can buy a Myth meal at Wendy's. That's real. Is that limited time? That Do is I have to go right now offer. to get my Myth so meal? So you better go right Damn. now. Damn. <laughs> so the last time I had Wendy's, last time I had Wendy's, it felt to me like the spirit of Dave Thomas has left the building. They were. Wow. <laughs> The face Patrick just made just then. Just <laughs> Patrick, the face that man cared about burger quality. <laughs> did he? He did. He did. Were they like not they're not good anymore, enough? Patrick. Listen, they were one of the few fast food uh, corporations not to sign the the Fair Food Act. So fuck them, basically. See, Dave wouldn't actually. For all I know, Dave did that. For all, for all I know, he was like busting. Rob's Rob's whole theory. Dave Thomas falling apart. Look, he was he was a man on the TV, and the TV man couldn't be bad. What you're saying is, I don't give a shit. Was in those burgers? They tasted good going down my gullet. Well, it wasn't workers. (laughs) How I feel about Taco Bell, baby? Like you just gotta admit to yourself. Is that Wendy's patties? Um. Okay. Real quick. Yeah. I'm just gonna get this off my chest. I'm still pissed about this. There was this show, Ascension. Gita, did you ever see Ascension? Let me just Google it really quick because okay. I have a horrible memory for names. It was a sci-fi miniseries because sci-fi would always like like trial a I TV series not. via mini- miniseries. That is true. Mm-hmm. And I did not see it. Oh, uh, aired on CBC in Canada. How surprising. Anyway. <laughs> A TV show produced in Vancouver with uh, tons of Canadian midlisters. Perish the thought. Uh, But the thing that really upset me was that Ascension had this very cool. It was like it it was very much a pitch of its moment where it was like it's a little bit Battlestar Galactica meets Mad Men. And like Trisha Helfer was on that show. um, Selling that concept. Yeah. And so it was basically like. In like before the Kennedy assassination, humanity launches a fucking interstellar spaceship to go colonize another system, and they basically create um, like uh, Pleasantville type thing. It's like a totally hermetically sealed like '60s culture. It's like Rapture in some ways. Like hermetically sealed culture goes off into space, and 
they're heading out to colonize the world. I have no idea what's happened back on Earth. Um, but the it, it it like what has begun happening is they are trying to resist the same forces of counterculture and change that historically swept through in the 60s and 70s. And so like it's aboard the spaceship where for them, the American way is exactly what it was in like 1962. And it's this like increasingly like um, hierarchical society in some ways, except also like the 60s. It's also deeply corrupted, right? Like it is entirely run by like self-interested white dudes who are taking advantage of every possible perk they can. But the great thing is um, the big twist is at various points, everyone on the spaceship is put to sleep by gas and strangers come aboard the spaceship and um, like where things begin to go wrong. I think is somebody wakes up during all this and it begins to become apparent that the spaceship might never have left earth. Um, and yet it might also be dying. And so it becomes this weird, like genetic experimentation thing. It was super cool. And it delivered on the premise at the end of the, uh, at the end of the uh, mini series. And then they never picked it up. And I'm like, it, there was so much good shit there. Uh, it was all centered on a murder mystery. I loved it. Patrick, eat shit. No, I just, I, it's a delight. You really liked this show. I feel bad for you. I do feel bad for you, too, because I also, I'm going to watch this and feel disappointed after. I know that this is my future now. It was pretty well, like This is why I've never watched uh, uh, Carnival on HBO, oh, even though yeah. it's like, it, it's extremely, extreme. every time I've read about it, it's like, oh, you would love this show. Oh, like, it, I know, but I, I, it, there are shows that end and you're like, gosh, I really wish they'd done more with it. There's like fun, con you know, but like, I know Carnival like just ends. Like there's no, there's yeah, like, it ends it, like, like a, <laughs> when shit is about to go off and right. there's been a yeah, major status quo shift and you're just like, what? Yeah. It's been perpetually on my list. They're just like, wow. Well, uh, now, now it's come Brown, far enough. Though. that It's like, I want to know why it's frustrating. Like yes. now that's the shiny object is not, not its story or mythology <laughs> or characters. A, a rewatch podcast with you about this show because it's insane and Clancy Brown is just chewing every so single good. piece of scenery he can find. He's looking for things to chew in that show. It's fantastic. It's so weird to see him pop up in every B-list thing in the world like just, He's you know. That, you know? Yeah, no, he is. Like full commitment. Um what a terrific show. Yeah. Um Patrick, we should yeah. move on to you though. Oh, what have you all right. to Hello. tell us about today? Uh <laughs> oh well yeah I yeah I finished the pathless that game was great I you know, mostly echo my thoughts from before I I would like to write about the boss battles in that game at some point because I think they are tremendous and one thing that's interesting about them is uh they don't um they have like soft fail points so you like screw them up but the game there's no game over the game just sort of like knocks you out of the arena stuns you for a second or two to kind of like gather your thoughts and then you just go back in and like pick up the pattern that you were playing with before or trying to, to solve before. It's just a, it's a very clever, uh, uh, very pretty game. And I, I found the final boss battle to be particularly, uh, I don't know. I described it on Twitter as uh dark souls by way of journey, which I don't mm -hmm. want to make that comparison too hard. It just like had really punishing fun pattern recognition, um, but like all in this, like, you know, a Hayden journey kind of aesthetic also has awesome wintry as the, you know, composer. So there's, 
that journey a component too. So yeah, I just, I think more people should play the pathless. I kind of wrote it off because I didn't have strong feelings about Abzu other than, ah, that seems kind of pretty. And I ended up liking the, the pathless quite a bit. So oh, that sounds nice. The pathless is good. So it's, how- an, it's also on Apple Arcade too. Apparently I didn't realize wow. that. So you can just like play it on your iPad if you want. So weird. Well, huh. That's every time something comes out on Apple Arcade, that's my reaction. It's like, it's a lot of, like if Apple Arcade at this point is like one of those things where like compared to Game Pass, which is like game cycle in and out, like nothing ever leaves Apple Arcade. Like it just gets bigger. So it's like, like even if it's not necessarily a service that you should pay $5 a month for, it is the kind of one where it's like, oh, like at some point it's worth paying $5 or like if you get a new device, you get three months free, like every time, like just like poking around. Cause there are like a lot of really good games on there. I just don't know that it's like something essential month to month, but if you're just going to like poke around for a month or two or during your free trial, like there's a ton of good shit on there. Yeah. I still have a subscription, which I find surprising every time I realize I get charged yep. for it. Yep. <laughs> me, you and me, you and me both. I got, I got, I got, I got, my credit card got, um, uh, haunted by the stadia, uh, charge a couple months back. Was it a monthly or an annual reup? No, it was a, it was a month. It was a month. I would have I would have okay. like you would have fought customer the customer service to, to, to dispute that one. Yeah. Uh, no, well, because like when I originally got it, and this happens a lot of times when you get sort of like reviewer stuff. Is some systems they'll have something in the back end where they can just like flip it for like a press person. Like you're good. Like don't worry about you know things. And but more often it's like oh here is a code for like a, a year. And mm-hmm. so that's what it was with Stadia. It was like a year. And I didn't do it, Rob. You're usually you know so I love good about do. setting those reminders. I, I'm usually so good about setting those reminders, and I did not set one for Stadia. And uh, so, six ninety nine later, I I was ready with Stadia Pro to to oh, try Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven four K on Stadia last night. Can you we oh, simply <laughs> imagine? All right, so last night, so Stadia uh, Cyberpunk comes out, and mm. um, so I don't know. Unlike Rob, I don't have like my PC is fine. I have a ten eighty. It can run a decent amount of games okay, but I've, I've lost the high end. Like, you know, that's why I was excited for the new Xbox and PlayStation. It's like, okay, so, like, the new Assassin's Creed comes out or whatever. Like, I don't want to play that on my PC anymore. I'm going to, like, shift that to consoles, and then, you know, in a year or two, I'll, I'll upgrade my PC. But, um, or was it DLSS will come in and, and save us all from buying hardware upgrades in the future. Um, we'll talk but, about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so my thought was I wasn't have enough time last night to put meaningful time into Cyberpunk no matter what. And because my wife and I are marathoning through Queen's Gambit and Great keep show. watching an extra nice. episode. Um, yeah, well, Anya Taylor-Joy is is a joy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> right in the name. And... Um, Patrick's just name. over here writing rental, like rental DVD case, like blurbs. <laughs> and you, Taylor Joy, is a joy. And that's the review from the puppet. An italicized I- impact font on the DVD cover of a bunch of different people's heads from that show all layered over each other. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> on to Taylor Joy. Great eyes, great name. Um, <laughs> and anyway, so it was like, I'm going to have like 90 minutes, which is like just not enough time to like really get into it. It's like, I wonder. What um you know I'm now I'm paying the the Comcast uh 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 entry fee for unlimited data like I might as well just um other than every day just deleting Call of Duty from my PS5 and re-downloading again just to for the thrill of downloading another 180 <laughs> gigabytes um I do it a couple just of times it's always fuck. the one I I delete and then when I get space again I just download it again I'm like why not just 180 <laughs> gigabytes let's go Comcast um and so I downloaded it on my Xbox Series X and then. I had a Stadia code 
And then I remember seeing an email from G uh, from NVIDIA that was like, hey, GeForce Now is like really getting behind Cyberpunk. Like, you want to play that in uh, 4K, like all settings turned on, uh, like go. Uh, and I was like, all right, well, I wonder like which one of these is like would be like the the like the one like the fidelity king um like could the streaming based services where you can definitely i think stadia looks pretty good i think geforce now looks pretty good you can tell their streams and then the question becomes like is the lack of like sharpness that you're going to get from obviously having a stream no matter how what resolution it's at will that be made up for by having all the fancy lighting effects and and rtx and and, and stuff like that turned on um i couldn't get the geforce now thing to boot cyberpunk unfortunately Ooh. i was able to like log in get into steam they've been promoting and that then, like, directly too right where it's like i i think here. it was just a cyberpunk i think it was just a, i mean cyberpunk last night had like a million concurrence on steam and the height is like on steam is like 1.3 million for a multiplayer game like it's just the amount of people that like it's you know Cyberpunk is just like having a, you know, a moment like we all sort of expected for better and worse. Um, it's an extremely popular game. So I think it was just kind of taking down NVIDIA's server. Like the way it works, GeForce Now is like spinning up, you know, like a lot of these services. Like it literally says in the corner, like searching for a rig. <laughs> it says seven minutes will find you a PC to, you know, to spin up and that you can that you can play this on. Um, and I was able to like get into Steam, like click on Cyberpunk. And then it crashed out and then it was like, oh, another 10 minutes till we can find you another rig. And I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm not going to I'll wait till the weekend and see how that that works. I did the I tried Stadia, which looked fa- fine, but I don't know that it was like meaningfully better. It looked like on par with the Series X version, but instead like with a tiny bit of uh, like, you know, even with running at 4K like connected to an ethernet cable. Like I can tell it's a stream. It's not meaningful. Like I it's, it's, it's certainly not like uh sort of like immersion breaking, but like when I can flick between displays and like see this, see the Xbox one switch to the stadia one, it was like, Oh, I thought maybe, you know, it's part of the premise of stadia would be like, Oh, you're going to stream the high end PC version. And like what we found is actually, no, you're just sort of like streaming like with like Red Dead Redemption 2, it was basically like streaming the Xbox One X version. Like it's a nice version of it, but you're not getting like a $3,000 PC. Um, so I ended up just playing on the Xbox version because uh, it was sharper in the performance mode, ran at 60. Um, but I'm curious to try the, I'm going to try the GeForce Now one this weekend and see if it's meaningfully uh, better. Um, it's, but it was funny now that I'm paying for that. It was just like, in, st- in like GeForce Now and Stata, you can like different like different um, performance things you can tweak based on uh, like how much data you want to use. It was just like very satisfying to be like slot one was like, hey, this one's gonna be 10 gigs an hour. And they're like, well, if you press this button, it can be 20 gigs an hour. And I was like, let's go. Like 20 <laughs> gigs an hour? That's nothing. That's nothing to me now. Jeez. Look at the high roller here. Oh, yeah, thirty dollars a month. Um, so and I plan to cancel it <laughs> like well January first. <laughs> so enough. yeah, it's true. That reminds me. I want to check something out. I'm gonna do it right now. What's on my mind? This is gonna make for good podcasting. Okay. Anyway, so I only got as far. I only got as far. I it was at least useful to. Do the origin stories in Cyberpunk matter, Rob? Or are they just yeah, like yeah. here's the thing you get? They do. Okay. They do and they don't. They give you a different opening each time. Um, right, which is what I did, like, on you know, the different platforms. You go like, oh, I'll just start a new character. Well, on the Xbox, I did the one that I wanted to do, which was the Nomad. And then on Stadia, I did the one that I should do. Because, like, 
I, I need to try and break the impulse to just play the character that I like want to play. Um, because the game's going to funnel you down certain paths anyway. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I, it's probably more interesting to try and box yourself into same way that you played hard, right? It was like box yourself into a corner through the difficulty to hopefully elicit more from the systems. And, uh, I wondered if I, you look at the, the readout for like the corpo and it's like, Oh, this seems like a shitty person. It's like, maybe that's more interesting to play like as a starting point. Cause it seems, it seems almost written to be like a dare. Like this isn't the one the players are going to imagine themselves being the good person in this bad world. Like the corpo description is just like, yeah, you've done what you've had to do to get by. Like you've been ruthless. And I'm like, well, maybe that could be an interesting way to, to play the game. Um, mm. But I, I started nomad on Xbox and I, I haven't decided if I, if I should just go back and start like the, the corp version again. God, this just makes me want to play Netrunner, that card game. Oh, That's what I've seen a lot of yeah. on like social media has been like <laughs> just like, I mean, cyberpunk, you know, is the blob right now. Like yeah. everything uh, spins out of it, even if your story doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just yeah. all cyberpunk adjacent. Yep. Um, and, but I have seen a lot of people both like lamenting, because well, wasn't Netrunner like purchased and sort of like screwed over, like destroyed yeah, by some company that bought it? Yeah, it was unceremoniously canceled after they put out a huge sort of legacy box of all the updates and expansions. It was a, a living card game, so and a, a deck building game, so it wasn't necessary to buy all the expansions, but you could if they had cards that seemed interesting for your building your custom decks, but they also had pre-made decks. It was like a very easy to get into sort of modular game and they made this big box with all the parts in it and then they were like oh and we're not doing anymore bye <laughs> which sucks well and everything I had heard about Netrunner was that um, as Austin and Rob had discussed earlier in the week of like oh Cyberpunk feels like a game that's not necessarily like reimagining what Cyberpunk would be in like a modern context and that like that Netrunner did that. Like the yeah. world they built was like, oh, like if you were like conceiving Cyberpunk now to comment on our world, like what would that mean? And yeah. Netrunner seemed like, to like do that really well. I'm sure you guys talked about this on Monday, but for example, like one of the corpse in Netrunner is Fox News. It's just Fox News. And it's like very obviously and self-consciously Fox News. It's Netrunner understood what it's satirizing. And it picks recognizable things to satire. Where I look at... Cyberpunk, and as much as I enjoy the visual aesthetic, because Strange Days is one of my favorite movies of all time, I'm just sort of like, I mean, I recognize these things that you're satirizing from like the 80s and 90s, but they don't exist anymore. Like the whole, uh, at a yeah. certain point, at a certain point, is it satire when like the satire becomes the pop culture and it's yeah. like <laughs> like it's like <laughs> it's sort of all the all the sharp edges have been been yeah. dulled off by yeah. nostalgia and. Um, the memification of, of like a, one sort of, of those like, a, like a seminal texts of cyberpunk, which is that Neil Stevenson novel, uh, whose name I also forget. That is the one with the main character who's named hero protagonist. Oh, that Snow no- Crash. Yeah, Snow Crash. That novel is like essentially already a parody of cyberpunk, the literary movement. And so we've moved so far beyond that that like Netrunner feels so fresh. And whenever you talk about anything in Cyberpunk that reminds me of Netrunner, I'm just like, I just want to read all the lore on the backs of the cards again, man. <laughs> like I just want to, I want to live there or play Shadowrun Hong Kong, which I finally should just finally play that game. Yeah, I've been thinking about getting uh, all the way back into Shadowrun over the um, over the winter break because I didn't finish um, Dragonfall. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, and the the weird thing is like, there's a lot of overlap in the opening for Dragonfall versus Cyberpunk, and so I'm like, damn, like Dragonfall did a lot of this with the real economy of storytelling and like a <laughs> way better establishment of the setting, 
And so it turns into like, man, like there's a lot of things that like Dragonfall just does way better uh, than, than yeah. Cyberpunk. It's something um, I'm I'm interested in, but maybe it's just a question to pose and then return to is just like Cyberpunk in general and specific in this game is so much about Los Angeles. And I know Night City is its own place, but it's it's a Los Angeles style city. Like the um, mm-hmm. when you look at Judge Dredd and stuff, the descriptions of these mega towers and the smog that is a description of Los Angeles, like the worst the worst of Los Angeles, you know. And I just think about like you obviously you've been to E three. Like my boyfriend is a born and bred Angelino. And I just wonder, like, does it have anything to say about, and so much of the game is also about stardom, like there's the Johnny Silverhands and the character Grimes plays or whatever. Like, does it have anything interesting to say about Los Angeles, or is it just a, a convenient setting for a noir? I don't think so. No, yeah. it's like, there are moments you get a little bit of a vibe that like, oh yeah, LA used to be here. Like, this is particularly strong uh, out in Pacifica. Where you are basically now out in Santa Monica, Venice, like what all of that turned into. And that does have a vibe of like, oh, so this is what will happen when ecological devastation and economic collapse overtake these regions. Like this is, yeah, this this kind of feels like how these places would feel if, um, you know, all hell just rained rain down on them. But beyond that, it doesn't have uh, it, it to me. It does not have a very strong LA vibe. It just begins to feel kind of like generic wasteland in the way of like Fallout and mm-hmm. like Fallout is a game I, I think about a lot when I play this because it's very much like Night City is the city, and it doesn't have particular LA vibes. You just know intellectually that it was LA, and then you go out into the scrub desert where there's nothing but like nomad tribes and uh, you know, like van caravans uh, heading, like heading out there. And, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't have a strong sense of placeness, I would say. And I think this is, we were talking a little bit about this on Monday. I think one of the real, um, get, I forget. Did you play Dragonfall or did you play? I haven't played these games. No, cyberpunk burned me so hard. I don't know if this happened to anyone else. But the marketing for Cyberpunk burned me so hard, I actually had to reconsider if I actually like Cyberpunk. So I'm like, I looked at it, and I'm like, is this what I like? <laughs> is this something that no, appeals I, to me? <laughs> Emmanuel and I were having this conversation um, like a month ago where it's like, is there any denying that Cyberpunk is was anything but like a massive artistic and like cultural misfire? Um, mm-hmm. Because... It creates like the things that it's trying to like call out and like sound warnings about get fetishized and become a vision that tech the tech industry pursues actively. And it's like this shit looks cool. And it also creates this ethos. Like, I think a lot of cyberpunk has this um individualism at the heart of it, where it's like yeah, the world's going to go to shit, but like if you're smart enough and you're talented enough, you've got the right moves, you got the, everything hooked up, mm-hmm. uh, you can somehow operate above uh, the structural violence and oppression of the system. And in general, I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> like, and I think this is, I think this is why, like, cyberpunk fans, they all imagine they'd be fucking Deckard mm-hmm. uh, running around with the big fucking gun and the trench coat and, like, all the competence in the world. But you're but more like, likely no. to be, like, the, the corpo background in cyberpunk that Patrick was describing, where you're just yeah. a guy that has to make rent. So you do some stuff that's morally compromised. 
Yeah, and then you eat shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and so no, I like in in the run up to this, and, and I don't think it's just. I think part of it is it is such a dated vision of cyberpunk, and it brought out the worst sort of fetishizing for like eighties culture and eighties cyberpunk vi- like mm-hmm. visions that it's clearly a lot of people who didn't really ever get what the text was. Mm-hmm. Um, who were like the most into this shit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like it, it was the years have not been kind to cyberpunk. The hype that built up around this game was not kind to it. But I also think, um, and this is not the game's fault. The game has no interest in the arc of technology and society since the eighties. It's interested in what the arc would have been, from the history of this RPG they made back then. Mm-hmm. And that's what they care about. But like, it's not interested in where society actually went. You, you got to think like, as a studio, CD Projekt Red has made uh, three games that are very faithful to a book series. And that is one of the major things people love about The Witcher is that it's very faithful to a like cult classic series of novels. And so their approach, I I would assume, would be do the same thing with this tabletop RPG book. But what people like about cyberpunk on an international scale is different from what people like about this series of Polish novels. Yes. There's also the issue of uh, the an RPG rulebook does not have narrative in it. Like, right. It has narrative like backbone. Not in that sense. Not in the. Yeah. It has like background and world setting. But. It doesn't have all the like you know the sp- the particulars that the books obviously of The Witcher do, so like it does feel like a lot of um, what I'm hearing about how like some characterization falls flat comes from the fact that like they're maybe trying to adapt like the rule set the like base like explanation of like these different uh, people the gangs the corporations as like a full character where because it's a rule book it's meant to be a starting point that you build from. Right. Yeah. And you know, like when Patrick basically did the part of the game that I want to do, which is just go like what I like to do when I'm like randomly like looking through a tabletop RPG real book, which is just roll a character. Right. And just see what it's like. Sure. You know? Yeah. But then like they have to give you a whole game on top of that. And like there's what are they drawing from? You know, like I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it does that like the, the contrast of The Witcher 3 is really stark because there is no equivalent to like it has no sense of the history of that world where like by the time you hit The Witcher mm-hmm. 3, if you played all those games, you know, the politics of that world really well. But even if you don't, the world is established enough that you sense there's all these politics happening around right. you. you, you know, that these kingdoms have different identities and all these characters know each other and like have a history with each other. And in cyberpunk, it all feels like, well, time to go visit this narrative silo. And that's a real fast way to make an open world feel kind of dead and fake yeah. because none of these none of these people have any contact with each other or each other's stories, really. And so it's like, OK, you created this giant like open world, but it's not a living world. It's just I go here and I talk to these people and I do their quest line and I go over here and talk to these other people. And even though they're neighbors. And they have, like, in the fiction, competing values and ideologies. In the game, there's just nothing. You might see, like, a random street battle between, like, a bunch of NPCs from these two gangs. But, like, in terms of narrative impact, you're not going to have anything like, um, you know, King Radovid's intervention uh, 
in fuck what's the name of that kingdom not you full not free to me. me yeah here. none of the rest of no, no. Like, you can say whatever you can, you can, Tamaria, you can say right? and and like, like, oh yeah, yeah. oh Jigabadawa. yes yeah. I remember yeah. that part in uh, the Witcher oh, and right. like it's the kingdom of booty hole and I would be like yeah that sounds accurate like <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's just <laughs> it's just so easy to to imagine like playing this tabletop role-playing game and being able to do those things, right? Like make these different factions clash, work against, like work, work them against each other, like do a double cross, whatever, because of the freedom that tabletop role-playing gives you. But again, like I was mentioning before, like just like having these two things, yeah, as you were saying, siloed next to each other feels almost more uh, um, infuriating also, that they, they don't really interact. Geralt's a major player. Like he, like he, he is not just an avatar in the world dropped in that, a Kate like can make an impact. Like <laughs> Geralt's like a very important part of this of this story. I don't know where this, you know, where like the the identity or 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 power influence of the main character of Cyberpunk goes. But I just mean like it's a different, it's a wildly different type of storytelling. There's a re- the Witcher doesn't work nearly to the degree that the game they built if you could create your own character yeah. like if it was just like yeah. drop a character mm-hmm. into the story of the witcher 3 the game falls apart like yeah. like a huge part of people's connection to the witcher 3 is like who are you going to romance and it's not just because it's your player it's because it's Geralt doing it like right. like, yeah. like like he is so central to um the narrative drive of of that world and those characters that that's also like i think maybe a slightly overlooked part of cyberpunks sort of like even just narrative structure is by just giving you a character to play is that's a hugely different way to tell a story yeah absolutely i mean i think you're completely completely right i did have one question that's not related to narrative to ask just because i saw this i saw two instances of this incredible bug and you mentioned that you played just like a little bit of a uh of the game on console and i have no idea if it showed up for you but some people are talking about the dick yeah no not the dick it's everything, <laughs> not not the Lenny Kravitz yeah. dick peep. No, it's, uh, <laughs> you've all seen that gif of Lenny Kravitz ripping his pants and his dick falls out, right? It's yes. incredible. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, it's everything being covered in tiny trees. Uh, I only saw Jason Schreier's tweet about I found, this. Which it's- I found another one, a video last night of someone like anyone, anyone else seeing this, my cover, like his, this person's character was just covered in tiny trees. <laughs> that's incredible jason said his was changed when he upgraded his nvidia drivers but for, pe- for people don't ha- go look up jason schreier's twitter it, it, there's a, a tweet in there that's a series of photos or screenshots of basically like just plainly like they're, they're just everywhere like you look on the highway tiny trees like you look on a character tiny trees like you look in the sky <laughs> tiny trees tree um it's very it's, <laughs> it's 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 that like the the it's interesting because like the predominant thing you know this game unlocked for most people all at the same time, not in the middle of the night. I mean, middle of the night for some parts of the world, that's a very, you know, Mm. (laughs) me centric where I live game unlocks, but it's also the case that most games unlock in the middle of the night for me and other parts of the world. Shout outs to New Zealand, Mm -hmm. Australia, getting to play games early. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just interesting the way the timeline just filled up because everyone was playing this game. It, even the haters were playing this game. Mm -hmm. Um, And so much of it was the glitches and, for so many other games, that would be a problem. It, it seems like with Cyberpunk, anything you say about it, talk about it, just seems to just make it stronger as opposed to <laughs> being a deterrent. Like, Yeah. It's it's very much stop paying for my grandpa. He's become too crap powerful at this point. Yeah. You know, I 
I don't know if it's possible to have a conversation about cyberpunk on social media. This is as bad as it was with The Last of Us 2. Like, it's it's such a t- highly anticipated thing that, like, you, anything you say, even if you're trying to make an observation or just be like, I think this thing is weird or interesting, it becomes like a part of a culture war that is incredibly tedious and tiresome. Uh, it's weird. It's weird that it this is the game... This game that seems like pretty much fine and like kind of broken. It's weird that this has become the, this thing. Well, I think it, you know, I think it comes at um, a very specific, like a lot of people are going into like winners here, right? COVID is spiking in a lot of places. Um, like the holidays are approaching. I do think it arrived. Like, I think this game would have been like a meteor, like hitting the discourse, mm-hmm. like regardless, like whether it was when it, it was released out of COVID times. But I do think, like the just like how we're living is also impacting like people are anxious people are on edge and like cyberpunk is a big thing to talk about and around and i think that ends up exasperating the the situation yeah. as a as a result a lot of people only really buy one or two games a year games are really expensive so um and new consoles are really expensive and gaming pcs are really expensive so if you have been playing uh like mostly modern warfare with your friends uh, and then you buy Cyberpunk, like sometimes that's just like the the arc. Like a lot of gamers, they that's really just the arc of their lives. So you have yeah. When I get text yeah. messages from the normies that are like, "Hey, should I play?" Which I got two this morning. Was like, "Hey, yeah. should I buy Cyberpunk?" And I'm like, "Oh, wow." Okay. I mean, you know, we just get those reminders of like yeah. the scale of a game, like when it reaches like like your Call of Duty. Like this is a person who only plays yeah. like Warzone and then buys like a sports game. Yeah. Like, ah. Should I buy Cyberpunk? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't I mean, know. The media I need to think about what you play. The 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 P the, the marketing blitz for this game is simply it's like it's everywhere. Like they even got public transit in New York City in a time when no one is using public transit. Uh it was at the point like, yeah, you know, maybe a month ago before I explained to David just sort of the apprehensions that people were having about this game. Mm-hmm. Even David just like sort of like, man, that looks sick. Like that's that's the reaction a lot of people just have to to these advertisements that are everywhere because the game like yeah, I mean, it looks sick. It's now, cyberpunk, I, you know. I was I uh, constantly amused by a de- a Defector, one of my favorite websites, mm-hmm. like R.I.P. Deadspin. Um, a lot of watch, you know, folks over there who I follow for like sort of like sports political talk and how like the intersection of that and culture. A bunch of them were just like, man, I can't fucking wait for cyberpunk, yep. and it's just like, yep. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. those people know better, yeah, and 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 may and probably even know, but um. You know, I, it's you like only, a weird if thing. If you're where like, not playing like every single little release that comes out, you think I'd love to play 30 or so hours of cyberpunk in the week between Christmas and New Year's when nothing really happens in the news. Right. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, and people are going on holiday too. Yeah. Like it's 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 hitting in like a, yeah, anyway, so. It's Skyrim. I mean, it's Skyrim, right? Skyrim yeah. was a game that just became what I did when I was home from college, you know, I waited till my parents were were going to bed, and then I played Skyrim on the big screen. And I wouldn't even really do anything in Skyrim. I would just kind of walk to places. Uh, it just became a, a an activity for me. Like not no, so much I was getting anything interesting out of the game. I would just see a giant and be like, I wonder if I can stand between those two rocks and hit it with a spell and kill it, so it can't hit me. <laughs> <laughs> and then just do that until three in the morning. And like that's I think that Cyberpunk is just perfectly positioned to be that game, which is why a lot of people who are seeing reports that it's not that like it had has 
problems. They just take issue with like whatever their chosen pandemic panacea is, like being called not that good. But you got to just not get in your feelings about it. Sometimes things aren't good and it's fine. Or sometimes things are just yeah, solidly well, mediocre and it's fine. Sometimes you can I spend a lot of time with something that's solidly mediocre and that's fine. And have a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah and have a <laughs> well, great time. I, mean, I watched Doctor Who for years and that show's never been good. So, <laughs> Wow, shots fired in the yeah, right. middle of this podcast. <laughs> Sorry. I'm I mean, look, like, I think it's, it's going to be very weird. Um, the degree to which I think a lot of people are going to be like, this game's buggy as hell and runs like shit and I love it. Yeah. And that's yep. going to be a weird dynamic of this, too, where it's like, uh, I, you know, I was talking to Emmanuel this morning. This game does not appear to run well for anybody. No. Um, no. Emmanuel. This person over at Highlight Reel is going to be eating out on Cyberpunk until 2077. Rob, I know what you're going to say because I have been feasting upon, I feel, I feel bad, but I've been feasting upon the PC gamer elite when I was like scrubbing through threads that are like, my poor $3,000 machine that is just like, was meant to do this game at max everything. And I could load over. It's like, Oh, actually I get to the cities and it drops to 40 frames a second. And my heart is broken. (laughs) So I imagine you're going to say that Emmanuel's 3080 is running into some problems. Yeah. It just, it ate shit. And he had a weird thing. He wanted that 3080 so fucking bad. This is hubris, baby. Oh my God. Yeah. Just like, this is this is what happens the thing when about you make PCs, though. It's many parts. There's gonna be a bottleneck somewhere. You gotta upgrade the whole the thirty eighty isn't a magic I, fucking bullet. But he did. Yep. Emmanuel what, like really? like did a full refresh. That oh, is no. it. I think it's a real good oh, rig. No. And it's still <laughs> Dude, like uh I ran a story about this, uh, but like Emmanuel found some other stats to support the argument, which is that so I was like, hey, uh this game has no good settings when it comes to like how to make it run well on my <laughs> hardware, except if I turn on DLSS, which is a feature that I was like, this doesn't mean anything to me. Like this is, this is bullshit. Like I, th- that's some proprietary NVIDIA nonsense. I don't care about it. I can't play cyberpunk without it because Damn. no matter what I do with the detail settings, it's like, haha, no, fuck you. <laughs> and just completely craters the frame rate um, to the point where it's like, you know, really choppy um if i like and there's huge variation in frame rate if i turn on dlss game runs really really well pretty much with dlss is again yeah like the yeah, just basically i mean i know it's an algorithm that like just, <laughs> makes games run faster just act like i'm a stupid baby that doesn't know anything when you talk about tech stuff because that's true well i had to look this up too because i also didn't know i was like <laughs> boy this dlss thing seems pretty good um so i should figure out what that what that's all about um so basically um dlss is deep learning super sampling I want to say. Don't like that. It is. <laughs> does that sound like a threat? It does. Yeah. So. Like, oh, hey, hey. Yo, I don't want these. I don't want these someone's AI gonna to learn more. Bring me into a, a, We're teaching too the street, much. We're like, teaching the AI too an much. Throw me into an alleyway. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to super sample you. They throw a game into That's, the That's my finisher. My wrestling finisher is the super sample. <laughs> <laughs> That's the order I re-up re- on, uh, on Grubhub. Uh, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm like sad. Send me the super sampler. <laughs> I go to Applebee's and get super sampling. Um, that's what that's what Rob calls the charcuterie board. Is the super sample? <laughs> so, 
DLSS uh, is what it does is it renders the image at a lower resolution than your display. And usually upscaling and, and Patrick, you now know this because you, you mm. had a thing that was upscaling to 4k from a 1080 source and didn't look good. Yeah. Did it didn't look, no, good. it did not look good. No. Uh, but what if there were a powerful algorithm that was trained by an AI that Love took that 1080, the 1080 image and mm-hmm. was like, I'm going to make it a 1440 image or a 4k okay. image. And all your hardware has to do, I guess, is render this low res image. And then this, this DLSS, this, this algorithm takes the low res image and is like, okay, here's what it should look like if it were running in native 4k and makes these guesses about how that would display. It's like the equivalent. You, you'll see like these algorithms that like take like a low res, like pixelated photo and like increase the res in a way that you shouldn't be able to do it. Cause it's able enhance. to just guess what it should look like. Enhance. Yes, it's, yeah, enhance, enhance for video games. <laughs> yes. So, as I understand it, the AI part of this is the AI has to be taught the game. Like, they have to, I think they have to feed games to this AI huh. so that it learns how to create these images uh, correctly. Um, that that was, I think, at least how it was working in the early days. I don't know if they've, they've okay. tweaked how DLSS works. So, for babies, the AI is like a cookie monster. You just feed it lots of cookies. The video game cookies. Yeah. And then the crumbs <laughs> that spray everywhere are <laughs> high-res crumbs. Beautiful high-res images. Beautiful. <laughs> and you can't tell the difference, or at least it's it's so, like, the, 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 the difference between what would be native 4K and simulated 4K is such that the game runs so much better in simulated 4K that it's, like, not worth... Or, well, or, like, a, a, given that the hardware can't do, like, you can't do what Emmanuel wants to do where you just flip all the dials up with raw horsepower and basically you have, like, a cheat code that, like, lets you get there. That's not quite as good, but, like, it's it's pretty damn good. So, here's here's where it gets really wild. Digital okay. Foundry was doing some tests on this, like, early this year. Um, in some cases, it is better than native 4K. They found some games where it's like, <laughs> uh, image quality, running it Ooh. in the DLSS is better. Like, did, I think they did control side by side, and they're like, there's a lot of shots here wow. where the DLSS render is better than the native 4K render. Huh. Um, which just seems fucked up. Like, I'm yeah. like, I don't know how that's that's real, but it is. And it's also like, a fir- like essentially first gen of this tech, or like first gen for consumers of this right. tech. So the other so the, 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 the other weird thing is um, so basically when I go into play cyberpunk, I turn on DLSS and you have three presets. It's like quality, balance, or performance. And that basically mm-hmm. determines what is the lower resolution that it's going to use. I go for quality, um, because that's the kind of guy I am. <laughs> and uh, I am like, give me the highest resolution uh, possible with all those details. And the game just does that. So I'm basically I'm running it like full full detail, like retraced everything. Um, and the game runs real smooth. Um, like it it chugs a bit when like all hell breaks loose and you're in a huge gun battle, or if like you're driving through the city at high speed and it's trying to like bring entire city blocks in and out of existence real fast. I run into problems there. But beyond that, it works really, really well. And Emmanuel's describing his experiences on a much better PC and they were very similar. Um, whereas also if he turns off the LSS and is like, I want to do this all natively, 
it still it runs like shit, and he also finds it like nigh unplayable, even on a thirty eighty. So there's this weird thing happening where this proprietary piece of like rendering technology appears to be like the linchpin of making this fucking game enjoyable on PC. And I'm real curious, um, like how people AMD cards are going to get on with this game. Um, and I'm super curious about like how it's going to run on the consoles. Yeah. While the base PS4 pro and Xbox ones look borderline, uh, I think as Austin put it in a, in a discord, a cyberpunk 64 ish. And that actually, if they just leaned further into that aesthetic, like, it might be cool as hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, as, as opposed to just like Make it maybe an indication that Microsoft should not release halo infinite on the base level Xbox and just needs to cut off that machine as, as soon as humanly possible. Um, yeah, the, the footage is, it looks, it looks bad on, on those machines. Ugh. Yeah. Um, but I am fast because I, 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 uh, uh, I, I wondered this aloud in a, in to some other folks of uh, like a year from now, like, will there still be like performance modes in video games when developers start saying like, ah, fuck it. Like we actually just, we want our fidelity and it's going to be 30 frames per second and you're going to live with it in the way that mm. console games have always been in the past. But I wonder like it's possible to add DLS equivalents to consoles like these consoles without buying new hardware. Apparently they, you know, it's, uh, I wonder if that will be sort of the middle ground in the future is like, hey, actually, like, we'll just use AI to, like, make up the ground that would otherwise be lost if you were doing pure, like, fidelity and using all the raw hardware for it. Um, I don't know, it sounds like fucking magic, and I, I wish I had it. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound like magic. Now, just to get ahead of this, mm-hmm. someone's going to email and is like, Rob, yep. literally everything you said was wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that's entirely possible. But I think the spirit <laughs> of DLSS was present in this conversation. Um, its significance, <laughs> its meaning, its meaning to me. And uh, I think you were yeah. able DLSS to not actually- pay overpay on e- you were able to not overpay on eBay for a graphics card and have a great experience. Yeah. No. See, this is like I checkmated a manual on this one. <laughs> right. Like right. He, he was like, I got to have the this. point I, of this right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You beat. That's Emmanuel. the spirit of DLSS yeah. is checkmate Emmanuel. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I, so I, I just find it. It's, it's a very weird thing. It's a fascinating technology um, that, yeah, it just seems so counterintuitive, but it, it, it works. It makes this completely poorly optimized disaster of a game kind of cool to play. So that's, that's neat. Highest um, recommendation. Yeah, it's. Uh, let let me know if you're playing on an AMD device, because uh, I am. I'm super curious how that is going. Because um, I did. I because you also if you if you don't use DLSS, you can turn on AMD's open source like uh, like dynamic performance scaling. Didn't work as well for me, um, and so I'm I'm curious what's what's up with that. We're gonna take a little break while we feed this dog. Um, we're just gonna. <laughs> Be right back. And then we haven't got. We, we can, yeah, let's take our break and we'll come back and do Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah, that sounds nice. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Uh, Gita, you have been getting into Star Wars again a lot across like many a, media. A curse that I have with Star <laughs> Wars, right? So when I started dating Dave, uh, he's a real Star Trek. He's a big Star Trek guy. So I, I really spent a couple of years being like, Trek is better than Wars. I'm really interested in... This television show, also, there's just so much more of it that's good and, like, <laughs> the easily accessible that's good. Um, and, you know, something really comforting also about a procedural that you can just sort of pop. Star, Star Trek New Next Generation is just a show about people who are very, very good at their jobs solving issues. And it's very, very satisfying. It's very, very nice. Star Wars has a lot of problems. But I... Um, I got the PS5 and I downloaded some of my PS4 games onto it because it's the only console we have set up in our apartment right now. And I was just sort of like, why don't I try Jedi Fallen Order? Because uh, the last time I tried that, I don't think I was like, we had been talking a lot about Demon Souls and I was like, I want to know if I can emotionally handle the kind of gameplay that this game has or if it's not just not for me. Because I know enough about Star Wars to know that I want a laser sword. And I'll, I'll give your video game a shot if you can give me a laser sword. Um, and I ended up really, really liking it. And then I was just sort of slowly, just via watching people I know and trust, like Carly Veloci, um, was tweeting about it a lot, just talking about The Mandalorian. And I, I've already caved in a lot of ways about The Mandalorian uh, where my big thing for a while was like, I'm just not going to purchase another streaming service, so I'm never going to see this TV show. I just, I, I do not like that we let these major corporations reinvent cable packages. I don't love that. <laughs> um, so I just didn't, I was uh, being real stubborn about Disney Plus, but David has Disney Plus for work, so I don't actually purchase it. And one day you I was like, You found your loophole. Yeah, you know, one day I had a we David, you know, David had this root canal and I've been sick on and off for a couple of weeks. And I was just at this point where I was like, I need to be spoon fed dopamine. And that little baby puppet is so adorable that I will watch an hour of that <laughs> like, I, for no other reason. Sometimes like 42 minutes. Like this yeah. show is ruthlessly efficient um, in, God, its, in its storytelling. Yes. And, uh, just want to reiterate, because this will probably be the last part of this conversation that doesn't have any spoilers in it, that we're going to be talking about all of the show that's out right now, which doesn't include the episode that came out today if you're listening to the podcast on Friday. Yeah. So everything up until the, the penultimate episode. Um, and here's the thing. The more I looked into The Mandalorian and the more I experienced it, the first couple episodes are just like... Uh, uh, it, it's like the tone of this show is so weird, but it's basically like a cartoon that is performed by real actors. And that is the thing that has been fascinating me about The Mandalorian since. Dave Filoni, who is the showrunner for 
uh, Clone Wars is a major part of this production. And you can see his storytelling chops all over it. In many, many ways, it is so much more like the Clone Wars cartoon than any, like, any other, like, live action television show. Like, most of the episodes are, like, about half an hour. Most of them don't go up to 45 minutes or a full hour. Uh, and the show is always better for it. The show is always better when they treat the characters like they are animated cartoons because the Mandalorian, the full-on suit of armor, essentially is he has to make such exaggerated motions to uh, to convey his emotions that some sequences are just done in complete silence between a man and a puppet, and it's really, really beautiful. Um but I, I, as I've gotten into The Mandalorian, what I've been noticing is that there's so many people on the internet whose reaction to The Mandalorian has just been, this is the best piece of Star Wars media that exists right now. This is so much better than the movies. And there's part of me that wants to be like, that can't possibly be true. But then there's another part of me that is like, I, as a Star Wars fan, I understand the experience of loving Star Wars, except for those shitty movies they keep putting out. (laughs) (laughs) I love the original trilogy. I really like The Force Awakens. I think The Last Jedi has some narrative problems, but is a very, very beautiful looking film. I don't, I I was last night trying to just think, talk about with, with David, how many drugs I would have to be on to watch The Rise of Skywalker. Like, would I have to pop a molly? Well, did you see pop it Pop a molly, I'm sweating. Well, you're saying for, again, or... For the first it? time. The reviews yeah. were so bad. I read full-on spoilers for that movie, and they were so... I was already upset that they brought back Sheev Palpatine. Like, let that guy die. <laughs> like, let let Sheev die. That I I was already not very happy It's worth about. experiencing. Like, you to be in your Is position it? where... I think it, I don't know, but I mean, specifically to be in the position where, unlike th- the rest of us, where it was like, really looking forward to this, like I went there opening night and you just like, just, just complete, even I was ready to be disappointed and mm-hmm. it was still, and I'm even like a JJ Stan and like, I was like, don't let yeah. him end things. This isn't what you do. <laughs> JJ, don't do this, man. You, you're out there doing interviews where you're like, I don't know how to end things, but whoops, they, they make, they're making me end this one. How's this ship going to land? God. Uh, and, but so just to like where you can go in post discourse, whereas like the last Jedi discourse will never end. It won't. Oh, no. But like the Rise of Skywalker discourse, like sort of all settled. It was just like, whoops, that sucked. Um, mm-hmm. And <laughs> you get to go in being like, all right, like it, th- th- we're good. Like this movie sucked. I can just watch a movie that sucks and know it's going to suck. It's just like a different frame of mind to go yeah. into a yeah into a film. yeah. It can be my maximum overdrive experience. You know, like it- <laughs> oh please please do not come on. <laughs> Maximum Overdrive has some the, the highs of Maximum Overdrive are higher than the Rise of Skywalker. Fair. And they I, did not I will, have I will defend for the soundtrack for the Rise of exactly, Skywalker. Exactly, exactly. Come <laughs> on, would have been better for it. That, that movie, movie would have so. been way better if everything that happened to a like a just a weird metal sting. They just play riffs on that soundtrack. Anyway, we're gonna talk about Maximum Overdrive. We'll have a bonus palette about Maximum Overdrive. We will not do not email us about I've, this. You wouldn't have to, you know what? It's, I watched Stephen King's Thinner last night, and that was a that was a, oh a disaster. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, I am not. I like Star Wars, but it, it's not like particularly close to my heart. Like, um, I just it's like, oh, I like Star Wars, and I have I have been I, I have loved the man. Like Mandalorian is like appointment viewing, it's really great every week to the point where like my wife and I. Uh, we watch a lot of shows on HBO. And so it's like, we'd always watch that'd be Sunday night. It's like Sunday night before like the week kicks off. 
we would like, you know, have a beer or a glass of wine and like watch like a really good show before um, the hellscape of capitalism begins again, mm-hmm. even though we're participating mm-hmm. in capitalism watching this. Anyway, just, you know, it makes us feel good to watch an HBO show on Sunday. And there's nothing for us to watch on HBO right now. And so The Mandalorian has taken that. Um, mm-hmm. Where it's just, and it's just, it's just, I don't know. I find it to be a delight of a show um, the well, weekend. Because- and I love how efficient it is. That's like one of my favorite parts yes. about it. That yes. I hit the runtime like, 46 minutes like you are speaking my language Mandalorian like what are you doing yeah, here I we think- live in a we live in a landscape where shows think oh an hour and 15 minutes that's an episode of a show no it is not you have made a movie my friend and <laughs> just a lot of them when I'm when I'm looking at the DVDs that I own <clears throat> and I look at the back of the DVD the Criterion edition of Stalker which I would love to watch I really really would and I see that it is a 169 minutes and then the new episode of The Mandalorian is 33 minutes. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm going yes. to do. I yeah. know what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch The Mandalorian because time is short, baby. Um, so. Yeah, this though, like, the, it's not just the efficiency of the storytelling that makes it good, which it does make it really, really good. I think the best example of that is Ahsoka Tano's fight in the beginning of the um the episode before last where you learned baby yoda's real name which i love that baby yoda makes a cat activation noise whenever you say its name like it just like exactly like that's the (laughs) noise he does it at the beginning of the ship in last week's episode where he's just like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that's what i do to my cat (laughs) uh did you i wonder when when your children started recognizing that they have names and responding mm. to them, was it as amusing to you? It is, yes, because they just yeah. like they just they just turn their head and and like even like Elizabeth, our our youngest, who's eight months, she doesn't respond to a name; she just responds to loud noises. So mm-hmm. you just like she'll be sitting there like trying to shove dirt in her mouth, <laughs> and and then you're like Elizabeth, and she's like, just like mm. it's like the the squirrel gif of oh, that one from years ago. I love that. I love that. Uh, I can't wait to have that experience. For it's, it's why I uh, there was like serious discourse over uh, uh, our, our boy uh, Grogu uh, mm-hmm. eating those eggs at the beginning of this mm-hmm. season. And I was like, not enough people who watch the show have been around be kids because yeah. um, th- this. I mean, and I realize Grogu may be like a hundred years old. Like I don't know the time scale of the He's 50, whatever his. That's just how Yodas are. Yeah. Yeah. That might be, yeah, maybe yeah, maybe Yoda is actually out here just sneaking <laughs> shit when we don't see it. Um, but that cracked me up because I was like, I was like, mm, yeah, I, that's I'm pretty sure Jessica at one point like put actual goose poop in her mouth because it was on the ground. And I was like, <laughs> I want to, I want to see what that is. Elizabeth <laughs> to, to the park yesterday, set her down, and she was just funneling. Grass. Oh, that wasn't her. just. Like, that's just what kids. That's just what kids do, man. Like you put a shiny egg in front of them, that egg's going in their mouth. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. I my mom's favorite story. One of my she has two favorite stories about me as a child. One of them is she has a series of photographs of me playing a play, like a little dinosaur shaped toy piano. And the first picture, I'm I look very happy. The second picture, I look weirdly concerned for a toddler. And in the third picture, it has fallen over me, which I love that my mom took a picture instead of helping me. I think that's mm-hmm. the best part of the story. You're fine. One day you'll understand, Gita. You just yep. sometimes you got to watch things happen. They're just like, yeah. well, just, yeah, <laughs> let's uh, see where this one goes. Just, um, just uh, and then like second favorite story my mom has about me is uh, when she caught me eating a worm, but I only had half of it mm-hmm. in my mouth. 
And then she found out that I had just like spit out the other half and hid it behind the couch for later. (laughs) That's fan. That's (laughs) tremendous. It's what babies are like. They want it. Real real Grogu energy right there. Yeah, Grogu would have just eaten it. He wouldn't have saved the uh, the, uh, the other. No, no. I have a good question. Yes. Yes. Did the uh, reptile lady or was she reptile or amphibian? She's I think amphibian. Frog. I think it was frog-like, yeah. 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 Did she not notice that a bunch of the eggs went missing? Or is she just not care because she's a frog and, like, the survival rate of eggs is probably, like, low in the yeah. wild. And they're just like, <laughs> she hey. She was absolutely we, upset. If she was a true mother, she <laughs> would have noticed that there were 35 and not 40 eggs, is what you're saying. They, dude, he didn't stop at five. Like you saw yeah. when she showed up in the first scene, <laughs> that thing was like a jar of pickled eggs in a fucking bar. So and about 15 left when she went yeah. and was done with that shit. Yeah. <laughs> I found it oh, deeply incriminating. That was that was a hard to conceal. That's like when you that's like when you've been raiding the snack food at the apartment and like you realize you crossed the threshold. Where like people are going to notice that you yeah. eat that much snack food, like they're gonna yeah, be like, "Where'd that go?" Me this is me in and denial M&Ms. about being yeah. an alcoholic with drinking my parents' booze, which is still at the level I left it, which is like this much, like an inch left at the bottom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. Like I, I feel that's kind of that was kind of Baby Yoda's move there, and I, I was kind of like, he's gonna get called out by this mom. Like she's gonna be like, "Where the f- you you ate a bunch of my eggs?" Yeah. But I, I, was, I mean, I love the thing about the Mandalorian is like part of me didn't want to watch it for a long time because it just felt like empty fan service. And I think there are elements of the show that are empty fan service. Actually, but yes. stuff, stuff like this, though, stuff like this, where like Grogu does something definitively bad and wrong, like eat this woman's fucking children <laughs> um, or, or, or like the way that people react to things like people like I love Pedro Pascal's performance as the Mandalorian. Uh, I know that it's like the 50-50 shot whether or not he's actually in the suit, but his vocal performance of the way he just says things like a normal-ass person. Like, it really feels so much more like that first movie where Luke is just a surly teenager with his aunt and uncle and he doesn't want to be a farmer. And, like, that is such a relatable and, like, human interaction. When you look at the scale and scope of the most recent trilogy, like, people don't act like that anymore. The first one was appealing because it kind of got back to that level where humans acted like humans, where, you know, Ray had relatable fears and insecurities. And her relationship with Finn was just very, very natural because they were both really weird and awkward about it. Actually... I watched Brick again recently, and my favorite part of um, something that I feel like is not really talked about in The Last Jedi are the ways that that movie does kind of echo back to the script of Brick. At the very least, the awkwardness of the sexual tension in that one scene where they have the Force connection and Kylo Ren is shirtless, where where Ray just quietly mutters, can you please put a shirt on, is is so classic Ryan Johnson. And what, it's what makes that scene, like calling attention to the awkwardness, calling attention to the weirdness that they have this connection, calling attention to the sexual tension is what makes that scene so impactful and so interesting. And in The Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal just does, like he's just playing a single father. And like that feels very relatable and like very interesting and very, there's a real emotional grounding to it. Also, he's so hot. He's so hot. He's so hot. That's all I have to say. Thank you. I mean, that, that suits 
putting in work too. Like it's just that's a, like it's a cute suit. What can I say? I, yeah, just, Pedro Pascal is he's hot outside of the suit, and yes. then you're imagining him in the suit, and the suit has but it's like a now sexy statue. It's like never yes. thought of Boba Fett as like sexy, but somehow the Mandalorian specifically like has that, achieved he's got that like good it's begrudging the, dad vibe. Yeah, yeah. He's I just mean, doing it's, his it's best. all about. I mean, it's it's the same reason why Edward from Twilight was so sexy to a lot of people. It's the forbidden nature of taking the suit off. Where he's mm. got to really, really, really want to have sex with you if he's going to take off any of his armor. Like, he's... The best thing about Mandalorian fandom is that most of the fix on AO3 have a tag indicating whether or not the helmet stays on or if it comes off. Oh, my God. That sure, <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Love yep, it. That adds up. I, I was going to say... Um, you mentioned Brick, and I was talking about this the other night because I was thinking about Brick in connection with episode two, which mm-hmm. is a disaster of a movie. Mm-hmm. And the thing, the thing that finally occurred to me was that I think where episode two goes really wrong, um, it's what kind of – there's a lot of issues with Lucas as a creator. But I think mm-hmm. when he's making the new trilogy, he's kind of aiming at kids, but he gets into this – he hits into this like sand trap in, in episode two – um, where he's like, how did how are teenagers? What are teenagers like? And he creates this petulant man child in the form of Anakin because he's like, well, what would what would a powerful Jedi who's going to turn bad be like at that age? And he envisions like kind of a shitty Richie Rich type, like just a just a whiny asshole. And I was like, no, actually, like the interior life of of teenagers is closer to brick. And that's what Ryan mm-hmm. Johnson understood is kids see themselves as adults and like independent agents. And the reason yeah. brick totally works is because like to a degree that is kind of how high school felt. Yeah. That like conversation did- that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character and brick has with the vice principal, like there's a reason why Richard Roundtree is the vice principal. That's how teenagers imagine, com- like that's how much it matters to be having a conversation with the vice principal in your high school. That's the kind of power they have over you. Everything is at always these emotional highs, even though you know teenagers, I well, the teenagers do do these things, but no teenagers I knew were wore really cool capes and had weird canes with a duck's head while they're selling bricks of heroin. Yeah, and like if you like if you're kind of an aloof outsider in high school, you don't see yourself as the fucking nerd in the Breakfast Club, really. You see yourself as the cool fucking private dick who yeah. like hangs out apart from society, but like everyone is trying to bring him back in. Is that real? No, but is it how high school feels? Yes. And I'm like, Ryan Johnson got this, and Lucas was like, teenagers are just kids, which is an easy mistake to make if you're like mm-hmm. a 40, 50 year old dad. But you forget that, like, no, man, like, Anakin was the age of the American graffiti kids, yeah. basically. Like, that's, like, that's what you're talking about here. But he can't, he can't see it anymore. He's, he's too yeah. removed from it. He can't remember that, like, no, American graffiti, Luke, all these were, like, he, like they were all the same age. That's what, a, that's what, a teen, those, that's what teenage life was like and what teenagers could be like. Um, and then he makes... Attack of the Clones, and it's like they're basically toddlers, uh, but horny. <laughs> you know, like it really should have been that him and Padme were fucking nonstop, and then as soon as he pulls out, he's like, "Man, I miss my mom." Wow, <laughs> like, um, that's, that's it. Like that's, that's what teenagers he, that's are like. That's how he goes to the dark side. It's just too cringe. Yeah, she's like, Ugh. I, it's George Lucas as the creator. 
I just want to lay out some of this because I I think about this. I do have actually been thinking about this literally every day. Like I can't figure out the exact right comparison. But uh, my friend Patrick Willems, who went to Oberlin with me in in the same cinema studies program, uh, we he did a video about where he watched all of the movies that Francis Ford Coppola has ever made and drank an eight hundred dollar gift set of wine from his uh, wine collection. And in it, he goes on this really interesting tangent about the friendship that George Lucas and um, uh, Francis Ford Coppola had with each other, who in many ways, these creators had the careers that each other wanted. Um, where George Lucas, like he, his background, he's a, a cinema, he was a in went to film school at a time where when uh, creators go, filmmakers going to film school and then becoming major Hollywood directors, that was a, beginning to be like a sort of a new phenomenon. Francis Ford Coppola is one of the first. Um, and he was like an obvious, uh, had a huge amount of talent, uh, went right out the gate, made TH, uh, THX 1138, and then um, American Graffiti. But if you watch those movies, they are much more similar to the kinds of things that George Lucas was studying and watching, the kinds of stuff that was very, very influential um, at the time that all these people that met up making blockbusters were in film school, which was experimental, non-narrative films. Um, I was almost going to make give you guys homework and say, can you watch Arthur Lipset's 2187? Which is from the uh, was financed by the National Film Board of Canada. It is a ten minute short film made out of archival footage and stuff that Arthur Lipset shot in Canada and various places in Canada. Um, and it is a very just a lyrical kind of poem like movie about the connections that that people have with each other and an unspoken connection that everyone in the human race shares. And it does achieves this without explicitly saying that or even having characters or, or really dialogue. It is a collage of moving images. Um, this is the kind of stuff I studied and really wanted to make when I was in college. And then I realized that being a working artist is very hard. <laughs> I would not like to do that. Thank you. Um, but if you are, George Lucas has always said that 2187 is the kind of movie he would like to make. Like the the suggestive lyrical experimental films that is the thing where his passion is but then he accidentally made the one of the most popular mainstream science fiction movies of all time and he kind of just leaned into it he kind of just kept doing it and you just you know it's like okay it's like if uh i'm trying to think like like don delillo wrote a, a ya novel and that YA novel was not only more popular than all the rest of his critically acclaimed work, it was so popular that it became culture for everyone, everywhere. And you couldn't escape Don DeLillo's very by-the-numbers the YA novel. And then everything else Don DeLillo ever wrote had to become a YA novel. <laughs> like, that would make you fucking insane. And at a certain it's like, point, you know, it's nothing like would make you happy. you were 13 years old and you started writing about video games, and then it's the only sort of, like, thing you realized you could do, and then suddenly you were 35 and you realized <laughs> you've been doing it for two decades and accumulated no skills to do anything else except this one specific thing. It seems like a so, perfect analog. I think, no. <laughs> I don't know. So I think, I, I think. Epic and George Lucas, the same guy, <laughs> secretly the same guy. My vibe with Lucas is, I don't know that I totally buy that theory of Lucas because I think he's kind of a guy divided in two, right? Mm -hmm. He's he's part of this cohort that's like Brian De Palma, yeah. uh, Steven Spielberg, 
and he's he's friends with a lot of guys who are gonna go on to be auteurs um of varying i think de palma was really respected and then eh, not not so much but like at a, at a point there was a point where he was also a, a rising star part of the cohort and i don't know i've always felt like i go back and i look at american graffiti and it's like it's a more reflective character piece for sure than stuff Lucas did later, but also it's still very effective, like popcorn flick teen teen movie, uh, in a way that I think is very like comfortable with, um, you know, stuff that, that Spielberg w- would make a- as well. And then I think the other part of Lucas is that he does see that Star Wars could be his brass ring. He cuts a lot of savvy deals around the release of that movie, and he's really interested in the technology of filmmaking and mm-hmm. ILM. And so I think there's I, I think there's this part where to some extent Lucas felt he missed out on having that auteur cred that a lot of his peers had, and he became Mr. Star Wars guy. Right. Mm-hmm. He wasn't he was respected as a filmmaker mm-hmm. in the way all his friends were um, and in the way that the people he like idolized and studied were. But he becomes this titan of industry and he was happy to lean into that. And then I think it, it starts to get a little bit weird, starting with maybe the prequel trilogy when he decides mm-hmm. I want to be a director again. Mm-hmm. And, and you'd see it's a muscle if you watch those making up documentaries, which Austin has been watching and posting like clips and images from, you can see like one, the only thing that's exciting him is the new technology, is digital editing technology and CGI. And he does not give a single fuck about those movies. <laughs> he doesn't care about them at all. Um, and number two, like he it, it, the directing is a, it's a muscle that you have to keep using or else you it will atrophy. And he has not really been a director for a very, very long time. And you can see where that has at like his ability to direct actors, like Ewan McGregor is <laughs> bringing gone. a lot of himself. Like he is he's Ewan McGregor is the only person that summoned the will to act all, through all three of those movies. And I think that does not really have a lot to do with George Lucas. Yeah, I no, I I agree. Like it Lucas yeah, the fact that he like loved to change performances in post is also really telling, right? Like yeah. you couldn't deliver this note on the set. Did you not see it? Or were you yeah. just not comfortable being like, I want you to do this take again. Can we re- rerun this scene and yeah. do this? Like yeah. it's it's a, a weird thing. I never saw Red Tails, um, which is his last movie, right? That's the um that's the uh Tuskegee Airmen uh World War II fighter pilot movie. So, yeah, it was a movie he was trying to make for years and then finally just sort of like willed out the door. Just prior to the, or just it was after the sale of Star yeah. Wars to to Disney, and that yeah. movie apparently sucked. <laughs> yeah, I saw it and I thought it was fine. My that's actual, that's what I guess. Yeah, Lu- Lucas is always like held to like he could make a perfectly fine movie and people would still like yeah. say it sucked. I I didn't see it myself. My guess is you're well, actually the plane right. Fights it's, it's it's like the the plane fights were really cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah. the, it the is it's the issue of two things where it's like. One, any story about black people that reaches uh, like a mainstream, like if a movie with almost all black people that reaches a mainstream release like they had, like a like a blockbuster style release that they had, undue pressure is going to be put on it to be the best movie of all time because there's just so few of those movies. Um, two, uh, any George Lucas release will have the same pr- pressure on it. So it's twofold. Like it, because it wasn't mind blowing, people thought it sucked. I yeah. thought it was basically an average movie, like a kind of thing you can pop on when you're high and feel good. But like a more effective movie than his prequels. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. it had Neo in it, but yes. <laughs> it did not have like a fucking racist caricature of a black man. <laughs> so I think it was a better movie than those. What's weird yeah. is like George Lucas like has looks <laughs> married a black woman, has black kids. <laughs> what the fuck happened with Jar Jar Binks, dude? <laughs> like, uh You know, uh it understanding does not necessarily come to us via relationships. Uh, I suppose. <laughs> and and yeah. Lucas seems Lucas seems very like I can't imagine a life more sheltered than you make this hit movie and then you spend the rest of your life at your toy shop at Skywalker Ranch being yeah. rich and like leading this effects house. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's somehow the Mandalorian still captures the stuff from a new hope that like captured the imagination and hearts of millions of people. Like, I think about A New Hope and all those scenes on Tatooine, which are where most of uh, the first season of Mandalorian takes place. And I just think about the sense there's there's a there's actually like some beautiful shots in that movie that linger with you in their artistry. That beautiful series of uh, of shots where it's just they fade fades into each other of Luke's face as he watches the twin sons of Tatooine set and he understands the sort of listlessness and boringness of his life. Just unknowing that he is on the cups of adventure, it's the 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 sunset of his last normal day of his life, um, and I think about that and how that image of Star Wars is the thing that actually lingers with me so much. The image of the droids silhouetted against the the sun, you know that that is the thing I think of when I think Star Wars more so than laser fights, although they are incredibly cool. More so than lightsabers and force powers, I think about like the imagery of westerns and the imagery of samurai films. And this, because I think it is a fanboy project made by fanboys for fanboys, it does actually tap into that sense of collage that the, first, the, the original trilogy had, where you're taking a lot of things you like and not just trying to replicate them, but turn them into a new and interesting version of those things that no one's ever seen before. But I think that does, I, I think you mentioned on Twitter, you're not sure The Mandalorian is actually good. Yeah, and I have this thought sometimes too because I'm like, this mm. is pastiche. Mm. Like, it's okay. fun. It's fun, but like, also, I think the reason it works in a way that Abrams' work does not is Filoni is referencing a lot of the same works that um, Lucas was referencing: uh, westerns, uh, samurai films, and JJ Abrams. The episode with Ahsoka Tano is just seven samurai, but with two samurai. Yeah, but it's seven samurai. <laughs> and, um. Whereas J.J. Abrams is just like, I'm just going to echo Star Wars. Like, I'm just like, remember those mm-hmm. movies? I made th- I made them again. Here they yeah. are. Here are these beats. I brought back Palpatine, baby. You guys love Sheev. Right. Sheev's back. And he fucked. We're not going to say when. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. And so I, I just, I, I think like where I end up with The Mandalorian is it's returning to a lot of sturdy references and sturdy plots. And it's it's that's just good. It's just you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's satisfying. It's, it's like what Wendy's used to be. Yeah. It is what <laughs> Wendy's used to be. But no, it's like it's like watching Shane, you know? It's like watching yeah. every episode is Shane. But the thing is, Shane is fucking good. That is a good goddamn movie. You know, like the things that it's it's referencing are stuff that almost nothing references anymore, visually. You know, you don't right. see a lot of samurai stuff. That's yeah. referenced in mainstream culture. But turns out Samurai movies fucking rock. Like they're artistic masterpieces, but also they're just sick as shit. <laughs> Super fun to watch. 
Yeah. You know, like it, it's, it, it reminds me so much of that final fight scene in The Last Jedi that no one, you, you can't talk shit about is because it's a perfect fight scene because it's a samurai fight. And it, that's just it. That's just all they're doing. They're doing a really fucking cool samurai fight scene on a planet that's got red sand and shit. I love that. Uh, it, it. I mean, I'm perfectly content to think about Mandalorian as a show that I it's like um, head empty uh, Mandalorian go burr. But I, I also <laughs> do feel like I've been because of how much the like fandom part of my brain has completely latched onto the show, and I'm like reading fan fiction and like participate like participating in fandom conversations with like stan accounts on Twitter. Pedro Pascal like just imbues the characters of Mandalorian with like a lot of heart. And a lot, like a lot, a lot of personality. I think he's like a, a very good actor. His story is so interesting. He was basically did a lot of TV and like smaller parts in movies until Game of Thrones, which completely changed his life. And now he's like a leading man and it's taken more seriously as an actor. He's like 45 years old. So it's like a late turn uh, in his career. Um, but he... The, the he has recognized obviously the relationship that is most important to the show is the one between the Mandalorian and Grogu, and I do feel like I have. Compl- I mean, like the two things about that, that is perfect is that he really does. Like he's he's just doing like he's the straight man to Grogu's funny guy. Like there's so many funny bits. Like when he drops off Grogu at the the ancient Jedi ruins, and he's like, "All right, kid, this is the seeing stone. Are you seeing anything?" <laughs> like, yeah. I love you. But it's also, you know, it, it does feel like the emotional, I mean, they they hit it so hard and sometimes they press the button too often and too forcefully. But the story of a man learning that things are important to him is something that I find very, always find very interesting. And it's clear that Pedro Pascal sees there's a lot in this material for him to chew on. Again, that scene that we talked about earlier where Pedro Pascal is just saying Grogu, uh, over and over in the ship and just thinks it's so cute that he reacts to his name. Right after that, they do this really cute father-son bonding moment where he takes a little ball and tells Grogu to get it. And he's so excited about Grogu using the force that he swears. And he's like, has to explain that he's not mad. He's just thinks that he's a, just such a special kid. And that is how I feel about my cat anytime my cat does anything. <laughs> like, like, it's just, you're such a special, beautiful baby. This morning, my cat... I like almost called David into the bedroom to look at this and she does this every day, but she perfectly curled up on the pillow that I rest my head on and I just thought it was the cutest thing in the world. I have thousands of pictures of yep. this animal doing largely the same thing yes. every day. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kind of like, look, look at that. Hey, look, look. Yeah. Honestly, when Mina did a big stretch in the background, Rob, I was like, big stretch. <laughs> oh, she's very long. She's, yeah. she's she's very long. Um, the show's running a little long. Um, oh, oh, we boy. haven't broken two hours. We've done well, all right. I wanted to say one other thing is that this show yeah. 100% would not be as good as it is if they didn't have that puppet. That puppet makes the show. <laughs> if that if if Baby Yoda was CGI, nobody would give a shit about it. You can, that, you can look back at what happened to old Yoda when they were like CGI that, that creature. And it's like, no. oh, you killed him. You killed Yoda. Dude, but one of my favorites is to look up the... Because they, so old Yoda in, was it in Phantom Menace at one of the council scenes yeah. was a puppet. And then the reaction to it was like so grotesque that they went and were like, actually the CGI version would be better because the puppet looks fucking 
horrifying. It's oh it's incredible. God. It does. Uh, they should have kept that stupid puppet. Oh, dude, it looked. No, I'm glad I, they should have kept it. They absolutely. I'm 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 disagreeing with the change. Yeah. Yet. I'm somewhat sympathetic to the yeah. change because the puppet was like so, well, I mean, so bad. We're lucky with, I think, Baby Yoda because it's like one, it's a baby. It's, it's a nonverbal. Potato. It's not talking. It, you can you put a hand up in it and move it around most of the time. Um, and it's also you've got, you know, for um, Empire, they had Frank Oz, the longtime collaborator for with Jim Henson doing, you know, the performance of that puppet. And these are like people who spent their entire life learning puppetry and like, this is a really rare and specialized art form. You can't, you can't just bring in some folks that kind of know how to do puppets, I guess, and do it. You need like the expertise of people who have worked with Jim Henson. And I believe that we were, you know, former Jim Henson collaborators and the people who have been taught by them are the ones doing the puppetry for the Baby Yoda puppet. Uh, I don't know what the case was for the other original, the old, old Yoda. What about Yaddle? Does anyone remember that bitch? <laughs> That's the other Yoda in there, right? I've been yeah. Like, why she, does Yaddle like, she have? She kind of said the Glorgu, right, or Grogu, or whatever. Grogu. Fuck's name why is. does she have a full head of hair? That's my question. There's. Why are the 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 where did baby the Yoda race? come from? <sighs> well, and I have to I'm, believe uh, they reproduce through budding or something. Yeah, they just butt off They're, another mm. little Yoda. Yeah, it's just like bloop, like a finger falls Ooh. off, and then there's a Yoda. That's why he was so hunched over in the Empire. Just said. <laughs> Waiting creating for the butt off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the fascinating thing about the like the production process of um, Mandalorian two is that so they kept the Baby Yoda a secret, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but when that show arrived, like that was like that first season was like holy fuck, like there's a Baby Yoda. And then by the time during the first season's airing, they were already in production on season two, which just like makes it's just interesting to think of like before Baby Yoda was a pop culture phenomenon. They were already writing what that character was going to be in the second season. Now they're yeah. getting ready to go into production on the third season when there's been, you know, a year plus of like, this is what the culture thinks of these characters. Mm-hmm. And so they part like I think Baby Yoda is still like slightly restrained, even though they clearly realize like how good it is in season two. But it's not exasperated to the degree of you, where you would normally think of like, oh, shit, this needs to be the centerpiece of the show at all times because it's like what's selling the toys. Like. Mm-hmm. I, remarkable that like John Favreau was able to like get Disney to like not if you'll remember they didn't have toys to sell because the moment you made a toy it was going to be a secret off at the production line like it yeah. was and there was barely anything for that for for Christmas last year and so yeah I'm curious where they go with the show in the future just because now there's been enough of a process where the culture has responded to the Mandalorian whereas the first two seasons were kind of like self-contained things of like what they were just making for for themselves. If you look on the Disney website, and I looked up this for myself personally because I have a lot of stuffed animals and just think they're cute and nice to have. Um, sometimes you want to hug something and your boyfriend's mm-hmm. not around and you just hug a stuffed animal. It's nice. Um, and I was trying to see if they had one. And they obviously do, but it's like pages upon pages of cufflinks and ties and mugs mm-hmm. and lunchboxes. They've commercialized the hell out of it, baby. I got the ColourPop uh, Baby Yoda palette. <laughs> The, the eyeshadow palette. It's actually really <laughs> cute. I like all the colors on it also. Um, really good. And it, it, it is amazing that they've been as subdued as they are in the show. Because the moment you oversaturate Baby Yoda, like that's when the show just becomes like current era Simpsons. Where well, even the show being like short is like, even it's like, is it like, it doesn't make any sense. Like it, it runs counter to mm-hmm. everything else in 
like streaming culture, which is longer is better. Yep. More episodes is better. Yep. Like the way, like there's no reason these these seasons couldn't be like twice, twice as many episodes, like twice, like you can see how they could fluff it out. And so it's like, oh, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm, it's, I think it's remarkable. The, the amount of restraint on like the show by the creators themselves, I think is, is part of why it works. It also is part of like you, you, the tension you guys are describing, like, is it good? Yeah. Well, like it doesn't stick around long enough for you to like care, care that much. Like it's got enough of the stuff that like is fun. And it's like, well, if this was, if these episodes that were 42 minutes were an hour and 20 like it, it wouldn't be like it would reveal itself as like having like shoddier construction. Yeah. I um, think you're totally right. I think uh, the part of the skill of the show is that it does not overstay its welcome. Like you just, said. it knows what it is. Yeah. It's like I, we know what's good. There's just enough of it, and bye. We'll see you next week. Also, uh, I do the uh, I listen to the soundtrack constantly. It's so I again Tyler like Scampino's testi- friend. Testament to the the creators is to say fuck it, we're actually not going to use any of Star Wars music mm-hmm. cues. Like, or it's like structural, like, like it, like finding its own. I, I, I hum the theme to the Mandalorian constantly. I, uh, and that, that, uh, that the, uh, composer who's Ludwig. Ludwig mm, Granson. Yes. Uh, yeah, he literally he has a lot of good just, stuff on. He's literally just Childish Gambino's friend, by the way. He's Childish Gambino's friend. Oh, that's friend very good. <laughs> that produced some um, songs for him. And then he got this gig and he's just going and doing movies now, which is great. Uh yeah, and I listen. Yeah, it's it's just it's just it's it's. Fa- I think it's cool that it has its own like sort of sonic like identity that yeah. is the feels, pan flute. It fe- yeah, it's well, it feels it feels Star Wars, but it doesn't feel Star Wars in that. Like I'm just I love John Williams' soundtracks. Mm-hmm. Like I don't need to hear, or at least those those sounds need to go away long enough for them to mean something again. Yeah, um, yeah. Every time I play Jedi Fallen Order and the dynamic music gives me a very recognizable Star yeah. Wars John Williams cue. I'm just like, well, I love that oboe sound, but I don't want to hear it like four or five times in the next hour. It I just doesn't mean anything yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, whereas like if, like if the Mandalorian was to, in one of these final episodes, like bring one of those things in, because it because it's so divorced from that part of like Star Wars is like identity, it would it would probably give me chills. Like it would be because it would signal something like, hey, there's like a reason we haven't done this shit. Yeah. And so like if you were ever to hear like one of those uh, reprisals or cues, you would go, oh, damn, like if some fan heard, service is about to go down yeah. and like I'm here for it. I mean, I was about to say, like, what's amazing to talk about restraint on a show that like just undid a major part of Star Wars canon by bringing Boba Fett back from the dead primarily to please 36-year-old fanboys. Like- I read the <laughs> the actor, you know, who, you know he, he was Django Fett in the prequels and then, you know, came back to, to do this. Mm-hmm. There was a, there's a good interview in the New York Times uh, with him. And one of the final questions is like, hey, you know, just kind of got to ask this because people are going to ask like, what's up? Like, didn't you die? And the actor is like so funny and honest. He was like, man, I don't know. Like, they didn't tell me. I don't know. You actually probably know more than me. He's like, he's like, I actually Google stuff to find out what my character is up to and maybe like what happened in a comic. And it was, it was like, it was extremely, extremely, I really recommend the interview because the, where he talks about like getting the phone call and like going to like the meetings at Lucas for the first time. He is just, it's it's, for a man who like has such presence and like plays such such a fun badass. Like (laughs) he's not even a big star Wars fan, but he is just like also very childlike. And it was, it's, it's, it's very good. I love that. I mean, I love, I love it the most when actors are clearly having fun. And that big fight scene, the Robert Rodriguez directed fight scene, which is just, it, it looks like it's plucked out of Once Upon a Time in Mexico. 
it, you can tell everyone here is having a really, really, really he said, good time. He said the script was 19 pages. Wow. And with, like the shorthand for cinema is like roughly what, like a page is a minute. Yeah, in page a, a minute. In a, in a movie. Um, and so like he just then had to like come up with ways to like extend the fight scenes and the combat, which was pretty good in the episode. But again, like it speaks to like the ridiculous efficiency. It's like, oh, you just made nine, you just wrote a 19 page script. I, I don't know. Like. Fluff out some of the combat so it can make it to forty minutes is just is just so different than how everything is made in the, yeah. the streaming economy. I think the restraint it has in sort of uh, its storytelling means that I forgive the show for bringing for stuff like bringing Boba Fett back to life. I it's a felt I felt the same way about Clone Wars where Clone Wars was making these huge changes to canon all the time. Where I was just like, but I mean, but it's a 30 minute cartoon. So everything they gesture towards, like the, the plot art, plot things are, they're not, they're going to be handled in a cartoon way. And it can allow, it can be allowed to become more complicated and more interesting in other extraneous media, which is what ended up happening. But what's so interesting though about The Mandalorian um, and Dave Filoni's like involvement in it though is it made me realize now like Clone Wars is like essentially the backbone of Star Wars canon now. Like the only, it's the only thing pre-Disney buying the whole franchise that has remained in canon. So Dave well, it kept Lodi, it relevant for yeah. a whole generation of like the, you know, children that grew up on the prequels and the way that we grew up on, you know, the, the original series. Like the Clone Wars is like what existed in the culture after that. It was, yeah. it was like occasional video games and the Clone, and the Clone Wars, like yeah. that, that was it. Yeah. And it's like, it, it, what makes me, I guess, what makes me eventually tentatively knowing that my opinion might change land on actually I think the Mandalorian is good is that the Clone Wars for a cartoon was morally ambiguous and complicated and had some very interesting characterizations of Anakin in fact it's like the major characterization of Anakin Skywalker and explains a lot more about his journey to becoming Darth Vader than any of the prequel movies do um and if that is the kind of storytelling that Filoni is going to embrace in the Mandalorian then I'm I'm ready for it if that's going to become essentially the backbone of future Star Wars fiction of just like the idea being you come into this world, you celebrate it, but you also are bringing new references and new ideas to it and making its canon more complicated. I mean, I, that's where th- Star Wars thrives for me. So I'm sick. I'm psyched for that. I wanted to yeah. see it get weirder. Though I think to me, it does feel like he's not interested in telling the same sort of serialized story to the same extent as he mm-hmm. is in Clone Wars. Um, I think, which I think is a good move. Like the mix well, of Clone like, also oh, not the showrunner of yeah. Mandalorian. Like it's all yeah. that's it's he is a key contributor and his his fingerprints are everywhere and yeah. there are Clone Wars characters. Like, but you know, it, the, uh, Favreau is the showrunner, and this is very much felt like, hey, Favreau taking Filoni under under his wing and being like, look, I'm going to teach you how to do live action. Mm-hmm. The the leap between Filoni's episode and season one, which was a I think he directed the pilot maybe or something, but like it was one of the early ones. It was rough. Like it was clear he didn't quite have a a, a hold on what was to direct live action. Yeah. And then the one he did this season was much yeah, better. Was oh my God. Um, the one yeah. he did this season was one of the best episodes of live action television I've seen in a very long time, yeah. just on a technical level. In terms of that fight with Ahsoka Tano, I've thought about that every day. Just the being able to use the lightsabers as a light source in that scene so she can slip in and out like an actual mm-hmm. like samurai. Like it felt- Good ass fog. It's some good ass fog and then the fight scene at the end between um Ahsoka Tano and the the evil lady. Love it. It felt it gave me shades of uh, Kill Bill with yeah. uh, Lucy Liu. 
And that, I mean, anything that can make me think about that fight scene is good in my book. Anyway. Especially because in a fight scene, she could have just used the force to fuck this lady up, like, yeah. but she had to keep her alive because she was trying to get, to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just like, when you think about the, how that fight was constructed, it's, yeah. It's yeah. Good. So I mean, give him his own show is what I think. I mean, give him a, give him a movie, but don't make it, don't make it a, an extension of the main Star Wars plot. Let him tell I, 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 w- I wish they gave him, like, the Kevin Feige role yeah. at Marvel, which is, like, clearly someone who understand like, is a fan, but understands what, like, what's what's good and bad for fans. Like, you, can yeah. quibble, you know, I'm not saying Marvel, the MCU is perfect, but I just think it has been missing someone like that. Kathleen Kennedy is an incredible producer who has been, a, been on, you know, done a lot of amazing projects. But you can see from, like, the works that she's been on, like you don't get that. You need someone that like can be that brain trust with her to produce those things. And Filoni just seems like the heir apparent for. Yeah. I for mean, if you look that stuff, if you look at it, and you know, so the complaint that a lot of adults have that I think is right about Marvel movies is that they are good and entertaining, but they're like literally all the same, and it just feels like eating a bunch of marshmallows after a while, where it's yeah. like you you're gonna get sick. Uh, Dave Filoni. <laughs> I mean, I watched. Clone Wars as an adult person. And I find, I know that it is, is as age appropriate for children, but it has a lot of interesting stuff in it that is fun to chew on and think about as an adult. And wouldn't it be great if we could actually achieve that in a Marvel movie without having to hire Ryan Coogler? <laughs> I also just think that I, I think Marvel will actually become a lot more interesting in TV. And I've, I've long held that Star Wars convinced itself that it should be movies when it should have been television. Yeah. And that just, like, part of the reason The Mandalorian works, if it was a movie, I don't think it would have been nearly oh, no. as interesting. I think part of the reason it works is because it's a TV show and knows what it is. And Yeah. Um, it's a guy uh, going to different planets and a different Western is taking place on each planet. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's it. All right. Well, uh, that will that will do it for our Star Wars update. Uh, you can keep up with the site as it updates by heading to waypoint.vice.com. Uh, you can follow us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Waypoint. On Facebook and YouTube, we're Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people find you? At Patrick Klubbick. Gita. At XOXO Gossip Gita. Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears, but also... If you're listening to this very early in the morning, there is still technically time for you to send in an email for us to record a holiday hot take or never have I ever. I put out calls on the Waypoint Twitter, but um, we're doing those recordings later? Afternoon, right? We should, yeah. No, Today. Hot, like, hot Takes is first. This, hot Takes is too late. Too, it's to too, it. If you're listening to this in the morning, unless you hit like play right at it's 7, you late. might hit it. Nah, it's too late. It's probably too uh, late. Yeah. So for that, hot was, takes, that was a useless but, update, Kata. Yeah. That but was, you can, you can you're, you're slip it in Never Have I Ever, though, which yeah. I'm very excited. We're going to we're gonna play Never Have I Ever, but with your Never Have I Ever. So something about, that about you've... video games. Yeah. You know, something that you've never done in a video game, but lots of people have done. Just Just tell us about it. Uh, the theme music for Waypoint Radio is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. You'll learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. That'll do it for this week's episode. We'll be back next... Yes, we'll be back next week, this time, uh, on Monday, with another episode of Waypoint Radio. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. What are, we, are we ready, Rob? Yeah, we're ready. We're ready. I was just hanging. I was like, let's, hang, let's hang good chat um, with a morning. record it's Friday. I haven't caught up with Patrick. It's not so Friday. Long. I wish it was what Friday. What is today? Is Thursday? It's Friday ish. It's Friday adjacent. It's, it's not even close to Friday. The, fucking, the game awards are tonight. It's not close. It's the first night of Hanukkah and. It's the Game Awards, and I feel like that is anti-Semitic. You think you think uh, <laughs> Keely's going to open the Game Awards with uh, some Happy Hanukkahs? Uh, I would love to hear about those eight crazy nights. I'm just saying we're going to be lighting candles. And Adam Sandler is going to say, "Is he going to light a candle on stage?" I would love for that to happen. <laughs> That'd I would be pretty good. Love for that. To that happen. would be. He's going to get all the video game characters. Master Chief is going to light a candle <laughs> on stage. <laughs> God, I, we got to actually do a podcast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. I'm also ready, right? Yeah. All right. 55. Only you know that. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, I forgot about the time. Re- oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. That was, Gita, I appreciate the hustle. I admire it. It was on 55, it. just so you know. Mm, mm, I don't know. It was exactly 55. All right, let's go on 15. How? Shut up, Kata. Ages. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so much space. Too much space to think, honestly. It was luxurious. <laughs> it's like when it was they, a they, luxurious they, clap. In, the, in Seinfeld, where they get rid of all the lanes on the highway. Yes, yes, it's so luxurious, <laughs> the wide lanes. <laughs> I was like, I was going to make that joke, but I was like, no one's going to laugh. No one's going to get that shit. Mm. Thank you, Gita, for being no here. Anytime. I'm here for you. We got to talk about For All Mankind. Rob finally now. feels seen with his <laughs> dated Seinfeld references. But seriously, I've that's maybe the best I've into ever. being a 30-year-old, you know, in your 30s. Last night, me and David watched three episodes of The Simpsons and got high. That's what we do in your 30s. Like classic Simpsons, or yes, are you just like classic? Okay. We watch Homer's no, Enemy. no. They just like to get high and watch modern Simpsons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I don't know. Like, are they like twelve like, seasons deep? Like, oh, like twenty sixteen era, just like to get a little high and like like the September October period is just you yeah. Know, mm, Maybe it'll yeah, be funny spot. now. It's a sweet spot. It's a sweet spot. <laughs> we watch Homer's Enemy, which is just an incredible piece of television that is a joke every single sentence. Amazing. Uh, which one is Homer's Enemy? It. It's the one with Frank Grimes, where this guy who suffered his entire life meets Homer Simpson and goes insane. Because Homer Simpson does nothing right and has everything handed to him. Perfect. Yeah. He All does right. get so mad he dies. <laughs> Jesus. And we're off. <laughs>